You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to episode number 76 of Living the Dream with Rory O'Malley. Audition, side job, swimming upstream. Believe it or not, you're living the dream. Hello, dreamers. Welcome to Living the Dream. My name is Rory O'Malley. I am your host for Living the Dream. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. If you like the podcast, you know what to do. Review us, rate us, talk to us, talk to us, talk about us, talk to us, all of the above. Let everyone know uh, the conversation we're having here on the podcast, talking to actors about the ups and downs in this crazy business we call show. Uh, today I'm talking to Jared Gertner, a very good friend of mine who I've known for so, so long, uh, since we were in college, really. He was he went to NYU when I went to Carnegie Mellon, but he was roommates with a very good friend of mine, Greg Cada, who is uh, a performer and teacher. And he is uh, my friend from high school and ended up being roommates with Jared at NYU. And uh, I used to go visit them at New at NYU and sleep on their floor and see Broadway shows when I was a freshman in college and couldn't afford to go anywhere else um, to stay in New York. So I have known Jared for years and we, our paths have crossed multiple times through Spelling Bee on Broadway and the Book of Mormon. And he is now in Los Angeles. He's also married and has a son. And I had some news this week that makes it uh, even more appropriate that I'm talking to Jared this week. Gerald and I have adopted a baby boy. And I cannot tell you how happy I am to say that on this podcast because for two years now, I have been in the process with Gerald to... um, adopt this baby. And you're, you probably can hear Gerald in the background. He's talking to my mom who is here visiting. Um, they are talking about feeding baby Jimmy. These are all the most wonderful sounds I've ever heard in my life. Um, even the baby crying is just absolutely thrilling. We have wanted this since the, since the moment we started dating, really, we talked about adopting uh, okay, not together right away, but uh, that this was what we wanted in our lives. And I'm just so over the moon with this perfect little baby boy that we have. He is amazing. And we are so grateful to our family and friends who have been with us along the way because it was not an easy journey. It was had a lot of ups and downs. And um, we're just so glad that it led us to this wonderful 
wonderful boy. And Jared and his husband, Jeffrey, have a son and have been really just like leaders in the in gay men having kids to me and and to to Gerald and um I was so excited to get to sit down and talk with him and ask him about being a dad um so it's it's fun I I'm not very good with words right now I haven't been having a lot of sleep uh that is one thing that happens when you have a kid but I've never been happier to be completely exhausted and uh disgusting i i have spit up on me right now um i've tried to get it out of the shirt but it's just not working gonna throw this in the hamper but i'm so happy and uh now you're gonna hear a lot about me being a dad and isn't that isn't that great (laughs) um all right here's my conversation with the actor and father jared gertner um hi jared welcome to living the dream Hi, Rory. Thank you. I just saw you yesterday. We um, got to hang out with your students uh, that you you have this amazing workshop that you have out here in Los Angeles. What's it yeah, called again? But it doesn't really have a name. It's just oh. Jared Gertner. <laughs> well, there <laughs> you go. Come study with Jared Gertner, but I want you to be my special guest for every class. You were so inspiring and smart and practical about the things you told them but well I, you know i'm i'm good at those things now especially after every week talking to an actor about the business and and life you know i'm yeah. basically like oh, i've got the greatest hits of what everyone has told me how they get through things in this yeah. industry well i do this i do this 5 week workshop with with kids so they're like 14 to 22 years old and i do vocal performance and acting through song telling story through song and uh, on the fifth week, I always invite guests, and I, I, you know, I like to invite my my fancy friends into the class because the kids love it. But I also, I'm really specific about who I invite because I don't want people coming in there, you know, like Debbie Allen, like banging the stick. You want fame? I, <laughs> I want people. I want people who are who come from a place of gratitude and joy, and um, obviously, you embody all of that, which is why I've been trying to get you for a while. So I'm so glad you were able to come to this one. Oh yeah, no, it it worked out. It was a little crazy timing because of uh the the surprise <laughs> that we had this month of a, a little baby jimmy coming into our lives so we I, yeah it it was i was at first i was like well i don't know if i can do anything but i was like no no i can get out of the house and this will be really nice to go and 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 talk with folks um but it was so appropriate to get to see you because you and your husband have a how old is Augie now? Three. Augie's going to be four in Dece- uh, next month. Oh my yeah. gosh! Four I know. next I, month. I was I was just waiting for you to cancel uh, on class yesterday because when Augie was first born, I, I mean, I canceled everything for like that. Yeah. We barely left the house. Yeah, yeah. No, we. I, I think that I've only left the house one other time without him. Um, but we we've got a lot of people here. My mom's been here, Gerald and, and his mom. So we've we've had four on one and at, at you are, you're so you're so lucky to have that. My family's all back east. Yeah. No, we we basically this is my mom's first grandkid, so she you know, the plan was that she was just gonna basically move in. I'm actually in where I in the room where I always record podcasts, uh, but now it's her room. So, so, so she's so just I'm, like sitting there next to you filing her she nails. literally while i was just talking to you just now snuck in and grabbed something and, and just was like i'm sorry i'm gonna grab something and she just left out <laughs> um snuck out but um 
yeah, no, it's, it's so great to have help. And that means that I can like get away for an hour or two if I need to, but I'll tell you, it's kind of hard. Like I don't want to be away. I don't want to, um, be away from them. And that wait till you have to go, wait till you have to go out of town for a couple of weeks. It's torture. Yeah. (laughs) I can only imagine. And that's the thing is that in our business, we don't really get to decide when we go out of town or not, we have to follow the work. So how have you gotten through parenthood um, when you have to face decisions like going out of town or, or work or auditions? And Yeah, I mean, it's not, our business isn't really conducive to having a family. Lots of people figure it out. We all figure it out, but it's, um, it's definitely not easy. Uh, one of the main things is having a, having a partner who, can be more stable having somebody who can, um, who's a, well, I mean, I'm really lucky because my husband is just the most selfless, giving, wonderful person in the world. And he is able to sort of provide a constant foundation here so that I can go away periodically. That being said, I've completely changed what kind of jobs I'll go out of town for. So I've turned down work, I've turned down auditions, I, I turned down this this incredible thing that was being written for me at a great theater. And I, I couldn't do it because I couldn't afford to bring my family for, I think it was like 10 weeks or something. And I, I wouldn't be away longer. So we kind of set a rule that I won't be away for longer than four weeks. Mm-hmm. And if it is longer than four weeks, then we have to weigh uh, the job and the, and the paycheck and the, uh, the opportunity with what's going on here so that we know if it's worth moving our family or not. Um, it's wild. And, you know, I, I was one of those lucky actors who from like 2003 to 2000, I don't know, 16 or something, I, I only acted. I'd never had to do, uh, I never had to do like survival jobs or whatever. I, I was able to go from job to job. But part of that is I was able to take anything. So I would take right. a job and go, you know, help friends open a theater company for uh, not a lot of money or whatever. And I, I would go take any job because I just wanted to keep working. And now as a family man, I, I have to sort of change my perspective on that. So I, right. I, I don't limit what, uh, how far I'll go, how long I'll go away for. And that makes it a little trickier. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely realizing that the you have to definitely be pickier on what comes your way. And it's not just uh, what jobs you get. It's the auditions that you pour your time into. I Mm -hmm. had like two auditions the first week that we had uh, the baby here. And I did one because I needed to, I was like, Oh no, this one I really need to do. It would be here. And and I would, I need to, to do it. And the other one I was like, well, this is something that's going to be in Arkansas or somewhere else. I I can't really imagine myself going that far away for that yeah. long. Yeah, I've so. had to pass on a bunch of. I just pass on a bunch of auditions because that's the thing is there's a theory. I think when you're younger, just audition for everything, audition for everything, audition for everything, and mm-hmm. as you get older, you, you you start to be a little more selective. And I, especially with a kid, I just pass on certain auditions because I, I, I know that if I put myself through it and then I get the job, I'm just going to, it's going to hurt me to turn it down. Right. Yeah. So, so I, I, I definitely had a lot of back and forth with my agent being like, are you sure you can't go in for this one? And I said, yeah, I, I can't go spend 12 weeks in Connecticut right now or right. what it is. Right. 
Right. And, and also it's, if you know that the amount of time it takes to put the audition together, you're like, I, if I don't have the energy or, or time to put the couple of hours that it will take to get this on tape or to go into this audition, I certainly don't have the 12 weeks. Um, yeah. so it, it's, it's kind of a good tell, you know, like if you, if you, if you can't, if you, if you can't find the time to make that audition, that's for me, like when I get an audition and I'm like, I can do this in, you know, an hour and it'll come very easy to me, then I know that it's something that I have to do. But if it's something that I'm like, oh my God, I can't even memorize these lines. Or you weigh the job and the role. There are things that I haven't had the time to do. And I've been like, I got my, I got my kid to school and I got this and I got that. But the role is like, I, whatever it takes, I'm going to put myself on tape for this, even though it's going to take a lot of time and it feels impossible because there are, there are, so it's just, it's a, it's a constant conversation between you and your, and, and your partner. Uh, and it's a constant, uh, conversation with yourself about what you're willing to do, what you're able to do and what you want to do. Right. So we're both out here in California but we yeah, have, we, uh, and it's great. We love, we we love living in LA, but we both had different paths of, of how we got out here. You started out in New Jersey, right? Yeah, I was born in New Jersey and raised there. And then I went to NYU at 18 and just sort of stayed in New York. Right. Which is where well, we first met each other when you were a freshman at NYU. And your roommate was my friend from high school, Greg Kada. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I think it's sophomore year is when Greg and I started living together. Oh, is it? And we, yeah. I mean, Greg and I became friends very, very quickly. So we oh, probably, yeah, yeah. We okay. met freshman year, but sophomore year when we started living together, because Greg and I lived together sophomore, junior, and senior year. I see. Is when you started visiting. <laughs> I see. So that's when. So I must have been a freshman in in college and just coming to stay with you guys when I was living in Pittsburgh. Yeah, when you were at Mellon. Oh, okay, okay. So yeah, I used to sleep on your floor when I would come to visit New York city and you guys would tell me all the cool shows to go see. Isn't that, fun? it was always your good man, Charlie Brown. Yes. That was a big <laughs> hit. What show what, should I see? Just that just your good man, Charlie Brown. With some, <laughs> some, uh, new woman named C- Kristen Chenoweth. Yeah. Whatever happened to her? <laughs> but it is, it's funny. It, that was 1999, 2000. And, and, um, I remember that you guys were just such big fans of that show. So I went to go see it and clearly saw, so why you guys were such big fans. And we've talked about that show a lot on this podcast because Alana Levine, she has her podcast and I've had her on as a guest. And oh, so, right. yeah, it comes up a lot. And then I was doing the the um, reading with you and you were Snoopy. This is uh, three weeks ago now, a month ago. The time has really changed since we, we've had a, a surprise baby come into the picture. But you just absolutely tore the house down with your rendition of supper time playing Snoopy Rory. Oh, you were so one of the most fun nights I've had. I feel like in LA, we don't get as much of a chance to do readings and workshops and demos and concert, all the things that in New York you're spending all your time doing. Uh, so anytime something like that pops up and you get to like play with amazing people like yeah. you and Barrett Voa and, and, and Carly Hughes and Tracy Toms and Doug Krieger, it was just such a great group. And we, uh, we got to like, so I, I felt like I was back in New York for a night and yeah. I loved it. Yeah, no, it was fun. It was especially cause we all met each other in New York. So it's always fun when you get, it feels like a, a class reunion or something, even totally. though we all didn't go to college together because we really did kind of 
make our, get our start together. A lot of us in Spelling Bee. Yeah. And uh, it was a nice reunion of sorts. Indeed. Yeah. But anyway, you were, you were in NYU. You, uh-huh. you, so you grew up close to New York. Did you go to New York a lot as a kid? All the, all the time, yeah. Wow. I started, so I saw my first Broadway show when I was three. My parents took me to see Cats. Oh my God, did and, they sneak you in or did they? No, <laughs> no. The they were able, there were a lot of kids at Cats. I think it's an okay show for kids because it's just, it's very visual, yeah. you know? Uh, and I sat spellbound and, um, and they would take me to see a Broadway show every year for my birthday. Every wow. year, because that was once I got old enough to choose what I wanted to do for my birthday. I'm born December 27th, so there was very rarely an option for a party because right. everyone, everyone was away for Christmas. I'm December so, 23rd. I get it. I know. So it's my son. That's right. You guys' right. birthday. Yeah. Uh, so we. Uh, so I would go see Broadway shows with my family every year on my birthday, and we'd go probably a couple times a year. Other than that, so I would say my whole life I was seeing at least three Broadway shows a year, and. <laughs> I, my cousin had danced on, my cousin danced on Broadway in the eighties and early nineties. Uh, and so it was, it was very much in the, in my world. Uh, I started auditioning for some professional theater as 11, 12, 13 year old. And I was working at Paper Mill Playhouse when I was 14 and mm. that sort of thing. So it was, it was very much, um, very much in my, the whole Broadway thing was very much in my sights from the beginning. So that you said something yesterday when we were talking to the class that NYU was the only school that you um, auditioned for or that you wanted to go to. So that's yeah, really because I, you wanted parents, to stay where you were. My parents hated that. Well, I yeah, I didn't want to go away from family. And I also thought if I'm going to study musical theater and I've been going into New York all, the, all this time to see Broadway shows, that just seemed like that's where it needs to be. Right. I, used to, I used to walk down the street with my, with my family after seeing shows and I would see everybody walking around in those Broadway show jackets. Right. You remember the old Broadway show jackets? With yeah. The, the leather sleeve and the big show logo on the back. Yeah. And I said, when I am older, I'm going to walk down the street in one of those Broadway show jackets. I'm going to have one. Sadly, by the time I made it to Broadway, nobody was wearing those jackets anymore. <laughs> so like my, I, have like, I have like a windbreaker and like a cool track jacket from a yeah. Broadway show, but I don't have any, I don't have one of those old school Broadway jackets. Yeah, what happened to those? I feel I like they, uh, it's not really in style to be in the show and to be wearing wearing the logo at all. Yeah, like we, we got spelling bee jackets and it just said like spelling bee real small on the on the uh, on the arm. Yeah. So it was like it was like I'm in spelling bee instead yeah. of I'm in spelling bee. Right. Yeah, I mean I guess I I mean there's the, we had some like Hamilton uh stuff that also had like the little star on it, but yeah. like a lot of the even the merchandise kind of has that like the the sweatshirts with just like a little star. So it's a, I think the merchandise is more about like little lines like there's that great Mormon show jacket that's just or uh, sweatshirt that just says I believe on it. Right. And then it says Book of Mormon really small. It's more about a reference to the show than it is about uh the actual title of the show. Right. right. Anyway, we just but, got our onesie that says new recruit from the from the right. producers. Right. Of Book of Mormon, which is so cute. But but yeah, I only applied to NYU because that I I had my sights set on that school from the time I was twelve. And I my my parents, I mean it was killing them that I was only applying to one school. Um, really? they wanted me to, they well they were wanted me to go to school in New Jersey because I could have gone to school for free probably in New Jersey and instead I wanted to go to one of the most expensive colleges yeah. there. And um and it was I don't know. It was the only place I wanted to go. So I, my deal with them was I will apply to two other schools and hold the applications at home. I'll apply early decision to NYU. And if I get in, I'll throw away those applications. And if I don't, I'll send them out. So on December 22nd, 
uh, I got my, I remember I got my uh, acceptance to NYU. I remember because it was my best friend Ray's birthday and I called him and said, happy birthday, I got into NYU. And I threw away the other two applications. Wow. I love that you called Ray and you said, happy birthday, I got into NYU. <laughs> I led with happy birthday. I led with happy birthday. Though. I mean, at least I said that first, right? He was like, thank you? <laughs> well, thank you and congrats, I guess. <laughs> No, that's awesome. And I mean, it's kind of rare to be 18 years old and know what you want to do and where you want to do it. It's, you know, like a lot of people, they know they want to go into theater, but they don't, I I mean, I didn't know because I, well, one, I didn't know where I would get into and I was very fearful, but it must've been a really good feeling to know where you wanted to go and be, that's the only thing you want and then get in. It was, I remember in March or April when I, um, when all of my friends senior year of high school were stressing out about where they were going to go to school and where they were yeah. going to get into And I already knew. And then people were like, I don't know what I'm going to study. I don't have to declare a major until sophomore year. And I was like, I know what I'm studying. Yeah. I was, I was always super sort of hyper-focused in that way. Um, and You're I a very think, organized person. I, well, I was more so before I became a dad. But yes, <laughs> I, I, I think so. I, I have my priorities in, in line and I, I always keep my, I have like a laser focus on what I want and I, I go after it hard. And I, I think that I, I, I've always sort of tried to have a lot of self-belief, which I guess is different than arrogance. Cause it's not like I'm awesome. It's just, I know that I can do it. I know that I have right. something. And I, I think that that kind of drove me through that, that whole process of applying to schools, going to school, graduating, and then starting in the business. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely, it, it, it's very important, especially when you start to have that kind of self-belief because it's one of those things where your parents can't even really give that to you. You know, your parents can't say, oh, this is going to work out. This is great. I mean, some parents can, but but it, it's so unknown to everyone. Um, How many schools did you apply to? I don't even know. I don't know. because. But I went, to, I went to, to St. Ignatius High School and there was a... Um, a uh, college counseling program. So everyone had to apply to multiple colleges. I mean, that I applied to, I would say at least five to eight. Um, and I probably only got into four. And, um, but, but I went, as soon as I got into Carnegie Mellon, I was like, oh, this is where I want to go. But luckily, because I had applied to a couple of other schools and they gave me money, that's the only reason I could afford to go to Carnegie Mellon because they matched the um, scholarships I got from another school. Oh. So it's always beneficial to, um, to kind of let other, your college know what other colleges you got into because sometimes they don't want you to go to that other college. They get jealous. But NYU right. is probably like, we... <laughs> We're, and he was like, we don't care. Just yeah, give us your take money. it or leave it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I get that. I think that Carnegie Mellon is kind of like a smaller school and, and, and university-wise, so it's a little You bit, said something so smart, though, to my students yesterday, which was it doesn't really matter where you go to school because you can get a great education in a lot of different programs, and you will get what you put into a program. Don't, don't like stress, like, there's only one school for me. Like, know that you can get in and get it have an amazing career from many different schools. Yeah. It's really, it's really smart because you do. I I mean, I I just always knew that I wanted NYU and it, it proved to be exactly what I wanted it to be. I got everything I wanted out of it, but I I have, I have lots of friends who went to NYU who didn't feel that way, who felt like they didn't. 
everything they wanted out of that school. So, but that's up to you. I, I, I firmly believe that that's because you said you you knew what you wanted to get out of it, so you got it. And I think that if you go to a school and you don't know what you want to get out of it, and you expect them to kind of just give you a direction, and and you know, then you're going to be lost because it's just that that's the way of the world. The world yeah. does not just like hand you everything on a platter um, in a in a program. You It'd know, be so it, nice if it did, though, wouldn't it? It would be great. It would I be so great. Silver platters right now. Yeah, I mean, it's that's the thing is that as soon as you get out of school, even you know any school you go to, you can leave saying like, oh, you know, they didn't do this and they didn't prepare us for this, so they didn't, you know, we didn't have um, this class or that, and we could could have been you know a lot more prepared. Well, when you get out into the real world, there's no one handing you anything, not preparing you for squat. So you're kind of just like thrown to the wolves. And so I think that it really is up to the individual at a school to get the most out of that. And I've realized that, no, it doesn't matter what school you go to if that's how you operate, if you kind of make your own path and, and find ways to educate yourself because I've worked with, and we both have worked with people from every school that has an ed, a theater education program and people who didn't go to school. And I would say- Or that, went to school for something totally different. Exactly. So there's there's a lot of different paths to get to the same place that we that you know we tried to go. And I think that there's this false sense of security when you're 18 years old that- there's a sure thing. If you get into NYU or Carnegie Mellon or one of these schools, then you'll definitely get to be on Broadway. Yes, those schools are great and they will give you the opportunity to have a lot of tools and refine your tools. But man, if you think that there's any guarantee, you're in for a rude awakening come graduation day. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it is interesting though, because I remember sitting in school and they tell you like all your teachers and all the programs will say it's hard it's really hard. It's going to be tough. Be prepared. Right. Be tough. And you're all sitting there at 18, 19 years old, nodding your head like, oh, yeah, I know, I know. But secretly you're saying, but not for me. Yes. It's going to be great for me. Yes. And then you graduate and you're like, oh, crap, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. I remember, I think I've told this story on the podcast before, but that there was, we did uh, – a, a showcase out in Los Angeles, and there was a, a former graduate from Carnegie Mellon who talked about his career, but also talked about this nonprofit that he started that worked with the homeless. And I am so ashamed of the fact that my thought was at 22, oh, I feel bad for him. You know, clearly <laughs> things didn't work out for him and he's got this thing and that's really nice, but like he's not, you know, really working as much as an uh, enough as an actor. Now, I don't even remember who that actor was and I'm sure that he is out, you know, having a career as an actor. But here he was trying to tell these 22-year-old egomaniacs <laughs> that yeah. we're about to go out into the world, like, find a greater purpose. Find something that will inspire you and that will be your touchstone, Your that will ground you through this well, business. Well, you say you say that you were kind of quietly judging that, but it, it must have seeped into you somewhere because that's, like, exactly what you did in your career with probably impact and... I mean, you, you really have, I think, lived that, lived that life. Well, it took, you know, it takes, it takes a lot of, um, failure to get to the point where you need to find something that, uh, satisfies you more than just getting the job. 
when you, you know, especially when you do get the job and you realize, oh, there's, this isn't the only thing that's important to me in life. You know, it's, it's scarier than when you don't get the job and it's just disappointing. Um, I think that kind of my, my story led me to a place where I realized in my mid twenties that I needed to find other ways to communicate with other human beings, you know, like here I am on a podcast talking to you and you know, it's, it's always been important to me to find other outlets other than just being on a stage or, um, acting to communicate. I'm excited for you to see what it's like now to do what we do and have a kid because I think my fear when Augie was born is that I would go to every audition like, give me this job or my child will starve. Yeah. Like, that I would have this desperation about about it. And it yeah. was totally the opposite. I started going to auditions and being like, I, as soon as this is over, I get to go home to my son. And yeah. nothing here is as important as that. And so auditions started to feel less threatening and less important because the real joy, the real thing that it was all about was about getting home to be with my husband and my son and be a family. Yeah. And it, it, it made me better at auditioning, oddly. Um, yeah. And I think it changed it changes your work too, because you like unlock parts of yourself. It's like a video game when you like unlock secret worlds. You mm-hmm. have little compartments of love in you that you didn't even know you had until you have this kid and you love it so much you wanna like eat it. <laughs> a really weird way to put it. Yeah. I don't actually I don't want to eat my child that clear to your listeners. I just sometimes you just you you love them so much you feel like you wanna like hold them as tight as you can. Yeah. No, and, no. And eat He's them. a little I'm just nugget. Say it. I want to eat him. <laughs> yeah. My my son is now 22 days old and he's just a little nugget that just eats poops and spits up and then goes to sleep. It's Pepper saying he eats poops. <laughs> he he I we are not feeding him his poops. No, okay. he those are the only three things that he he does in life right now and I think he's a genius. I'm pretty yeah. sure. How come I, that changes? How come you know when we're young when my son still he's almost 4 when he sneezes or farts I'm like uh-huh. awesome fart buddy yeah. way to blow your nose. Yeah. And nobody congratulates you for that kind of stuff. So true. I think we should bring that back. I want you to start congratulating me whenever I sneeze. I congratulate myself, but <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so you get out of college in NYU, you make the most of your four-year education there, and you go into the workforce of New York City. I always wonder, like, when you work, when you go to college in, at NYU, and then you live in New York City, you don't have the uh, the crazy, you know, startle of what it means to live in New York. But do you a little bit when you're not in the, you know, the safety zone of a university or... <laughs> I've always felt really grateful for that, that I didn't have to finish school and then do the move to New York and finish and figure New York out because I was right. already living and working there. Uh, so I, I'm i really grateful for that. There was little startles. Like I, I lived in the dorm straight up until I finished. And then I moved into an apartment also with our mutual friend, Greg Cada. And uh, things like buying your own toilet paper and garbage bags and not going down to the front desk to just get replacements and right. things like that, I think startled me. But largely no i just felt super grateful for the fact that i already knew the city i knew how the subway worked i knew where everything was i had a, a, a built-in network of friends who all where, where did you guys live in that first apartment where was that? oh god it was 92nd street between second and first it was right. not it was not for us that I, we had gone from living on union square for three years to yeah. living 
on 92nd and 1st, and it was not, that was not our kind of neighborhood. I think I um, stayed in that apartment once. I th- It was think. so small. Greg and I thought that because we had been roommates in college and shared a room, yeah. that we could share a room in our first apartment also. Um, oh. Because we just thought, it's going to be just like college. It's not like college, you guys. Right. When you graduate college, you have to get your own room. Yeah. And our room that we got in this apartment, because we shared with another friend, Kim, and she had her own room. And yes. then Greg shared a room that was... I'm going to say eight feet by five feet. I mean, it was so I definitely tall. stayed in this apartment, which we is had, so hilarious. We each had a single bed. And at night, if I put my arm out to the, to the center of the room, he could put his arm out and hold my hand. <laughs> it was, it was, it was not good. And we both were like dating people at the time. And yeah. it was, um, it was not ideal. It yeah. was fun. I look back on those times with a big smile and a lot of joy, but you need to have your own room when you graduate college. You just do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you, but you said that you started taking jobs that took you away from New York. Is that right? Was yeah. That initially? I, was a, I was away a lot. So I, I, my first Broadway show was Spelling Bee after doing it on the road for a year. So, uh, but I was like, what, how old was I? 27, I think when I opened on Broadway in Spelling Bee. So from 22 to 27, I was, I did a, a, a couple children's theater tours. I worked all over the place, Cincinnati Playhouse in the Park, St. Louis Rep. I was uh, I was working in regional theaters and uh, and then finally, you know, Broadway called. <laughs> Broadway called. And how yeah. did it call? Uh, well, I was doing Spelling Bee. So I, t- I actually told the story yesterday in class. Yeah. I, I auditioned to do the track that you did in Spelling Bee to uh, to um, cover Barfay, Panch, and Coney Bear when it was moving from second stage to Broadway. And that was the track. That was what Todd Bonapane ended up doing. Hi, Todd. And I'm sure he's one of your listeners. Hi, Todd. I hope so. Um, and I, uh, anyway, I auditioned for that. Probably, I think I had a few callbacks and I had seen it at second stage right before it closed. And I said, if I don't get this show, there's no show for me. Like, this is, this is it. I have to do this one. And then I didn't get it. And I was, so I was so upset. I thought this doesn't make any sense, but it's not like the show's going anywhere. I'm just going to stay on top of it. And I kept writing Tara Rubin's office, the casting director saying, can I, you know, when you cast the tour, please remember me. I'm going out of town, but you can reach me at my agent's office. I'm back in town. I, if you have an audition for Spelling Bee, please keep me in mind. I was a little bit obnoxious, but hopefully not too much. And then after a few more callbacks for different companies, they ended up casting me to do the San Francisco company, which was the first company after Broadway. So um, wow. we we sat down in San Francisco and they hired me to play Barfay rather than to cover the three roles. So I think it it all went the way it was supposed to. So I was doing their show in San Francisco. We were there for seven months or something, which was amazing. And they sat us down and they told us, the producers came out to see us and, and said, we'd like to move the show to Boston this company, let's just take the whole show and move it to Boston. And then we want you, once you've finished your contract in Boston, we would like to move you to the Broadway company. And all of us were like, wait, what? And I think one of the people in our show had been on Broadway at that point. Wow. And no, no one else had. So we were basically all told in the lobby of our theater in San Francisco, stick with us, go to Boston. And then after that, we'll put you in the Broadway company. Wow. So I was expecting to come to, to be in Boston a little bit longer and then to come to the Broadway company, I think in April, mm-hmm. we ended up closing on new year's in Boston. 
And I got a call that week from the producers saying, Josh Gad booked a movie. He's leaving the company on Broadway. We'd like you to come in in two weeks. Right. Uh, so Which I was in the show at that point when you came in. Yeah, you were there. When Josh Gad books a movie or a TV show, I get a Broadway job. <laughs> um so he he went off to shoot i think that was when he shot 21 uh-huh right and so he went off to do that and i i went to puerto rico uh with a couple cast members um just to at the end of boston just as a vacation thinking that i had three weeks before i had to be abroad on broadway and i got back from puerto rico and i had a, a voicemail from uh spook our stage manager who passed away a couple years ago who we all loved so much oh, she was the best that, she was the absolute best. And she left a message saying, hi, it, it, Jared, it's Spook. I, we, we need you to start soon. You're coming in to re- for, for rehearsal in two days. And you'll start the week after in performances. I mean, it, it was crazy. It all wow. happened really, really fast. But what was cool about my, my debut in Spelling Bee is it was Kids Night on Broadway. <laughs> I don't know if yeah. you remember. Do you remember that Julie Andrews came? Yes. With us? So that was my first night. So Julie Andrews was the ambassador for Kids Night with her daughter, and they both came up as audience volunteers. So within five minutes of being on Broadway, I was sitting next to Julie Andrews on the Oh, my bed. God. And then they said, uh, we, had, we had to do like a curtain speech at the end to bring her back on stage to make a speech about Kids Night. And before the show, Spook said, we need somebody to, int- to do the curtain speech and introduce uh, introduce." Julie Andrews and Jose Lana was like, well, it should be Gertner. It's his debut. Let's let him do it. So I got to make the curtain speech and bring her up on stage and Broadway.com was there and a couple other press things. So we got to all, we did like interviews after the show on stage and costume and pictures, which for those of you who don't know what it's like to do a, 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 to be a Broadway replacement, nobody else really cares. Like it's the biggest night for you, but everyone else is there to do their job and then they go home. It's for you. You've made your Broadway debut for everyone else, they're just doing a show again that night. Yeah. So for me, it kind of felt, and there was like a little reception thing afterwards. So for me, it felt like I had made my Broadway debut in a, on like a big night, like we were opening or something because there was press and there was a reception. and It was it, all I, for you. It was all for me. Julie Andrews, all for me. <laughs> I feel like Spelling Bee, and we talked about this uh, yesterday, was was a a gateway for so many people to make their Broadway debut because it needed younger performers. It's amazing how many. It needed weird people too. Yeah. People who maybe didn't fit into every other show. Well, character actors who were still in their twenties, you know, who, if it hadn't been for spelling me, you know, I I don't think that I probably would have made a a Broadway debut. Well, at least until Mormon, you know, in my thirties, it it would have taken a lot longer if there wasn't this quirky show that needed comedic young actors. Yeah. I I feel the same way. And uh, honestly, spelling bee directly led to Mormon for me because, um, while I was doing spelling bee, I got asked to do a reading for ordinary days Mm -hmm. because they were looking for, you know, when you're in a Broadway show, they want to get you in, in your in their readings because they can. You have a something in parentheses after your name, so right. all of a sudden, getting calls to do readings you never got before. So I went and I did this reading of Ordinary Days, stuck with that, and the casting director for that when we eventually did it at Roundabout was Carrie, who also cast Mormon. So when Mormon came around, she knew me well, and they needed a standby, and I was out of town, and she went over and above to make sure that I got in. Let me basically pick my audition time so that I could 
fly in, audition, and fly right back out to go to the job I was doing in Detroit at the time. And she, I mean, I, I owe a lot to her. Wow. Um, so yeah, it kind of it's weird how like one job will lead to another job, which will lead to another job. Right. Yeah. I mean, you can definitely connect the dots going back. I, you can't yeah. forward, but you can going back. You can figure yeah. out, you know, that that happened because of that, which is what you know. You that's why you step through every door that's open to you because you never know where it's going to lead to. Yeah, totally. I think that. I mean, that's why in my twenties, I told you I was like out of town all the time. Yeah. I said yes to everything in my twenties. Yeah. I said yes to every job, and uh, almost all of them were really good experiences too. I yeah. just I wanted to keep working and meet people and just keep growing. Well, I mean, that's the time to do it, you know, because yeah. you do, like you said, now you have to be more picky and, and figure out what's best for you at the moment. You can't say yes to everything. So it's good that you had that time in your twenties to, to do it all. So you were in Spelling Bee, you have your Broadway debut, Dream Come True with Julie Andrews. Yeah. And you, how long were you in the show? How long of the run was it? A year. I, I came in in January of 2007 and we closed in January of 2008. Wow. And, and, and I'd already done it for one year prior to that. Right. In San Boston. Right. So you had about two years of, of playing playing that great role. Where did you go after that? Like what, what did you feel like when you left that show? Was it easy I or hard? Like when I left that show, because I now was on Broadway, that I was only going to work on Broadway. It, it just, right. It, it's a really, I think a lot of people have that misconception that like once you start working on Broadway, that's just what you do. Once you cross that threshold, then you yeah. don't have to go back. And it turned out that wasn't it at all. I then went back and did a, a ton of regional theater uh, between, and then, and I did um, Ordinary Days off Broadway and that was one of the most special things in my life. But it took three, I think exactly three years, right? 2008 to 2011 from when I, we closed Spelling Bee to when we started rehearsals for Mormon on Broadway. Wow. So three years. But so the first thing I did after that was Little Shop at Paper Mill Playhouse, um, which was really cool because I had gone, I had been a kid at Paper Mill Playhouse. I did Peter Pan there when I was 14. Right. I did the River there when I was 17. They gave me a scholarship to college. So then I closed the Broadway show, my first Broadway show, and I get to go back and star in Little Shop of Horrors as a grown up at Paper Mill Playhouse, which felt like a, like a real homecoming. And uh, it was really really special really special to get to do that and paper mills like you've worked at paper mills like yeah. working way on the other side of the river yeah um, it's a huge I, theater it's huge and you you know you take the van from manhattan from manhattan oh yeah the van and back wait i drove the van i i drove well tally sessions drove the van and i was his his alternate <laughs> <laughs> you get uh, i can't remember i think you get like a extra 10 bucks or something. You do. And I took, I took an extra anything when I was, when I, was <laughs> I still do. Oh my God. I can't believe I drove that van. Uh, <laughs> and we, uh, it, yeah, we had a couple, couple near misses with that van. It's a huge <laughs> passenger van. It probably seats like a dozen people if, if not more. And it, it you, par they park it on a garage on 43rd. So you, all the actors gather on 43rd street, you pick up the actors, then you drive them to New Jersey and then you come back. Yeah. It's, it's a really good system they got going on. It's a great system unless something something went horribly wrong over we there. I don't remember there was some oh, kind no. of storm and people couldn't get there. Oh, but we uh, yes, I did. I, I I did that, and then Ordinary Date. We went out of town to do the first production of Ordinary Days right right after that uh, in Penn State, and um, a year later is when we did Ordinary Days Roundabout, and 
I was just sort of bouncing around. But during that time, that year, right after we closed Spelling Bay, I also met Jeffrey, my husband. And so I was falling in love and mm. that was really great. And, and then Mormon what, came what, up. What year did you guys get married? We got married in 2010. Wow. We just celebrated our eight, eight, we just celebrated 10 years together and eight years married. That's incredible. You guys got married after two years of being together? We got engaged in less than a year. We, oh my God. I remember well, that it was er, like early on because Gerald and I have been together over 10 years, but we didn't get married until like six and a half years together. No, we were so fast. Rory, I was hanging out with uh, Stanley Bohorek and Scott Barnhart and Logan Lipton. This, we had this little like group that we used to hang out with a lot. Yeah. We were hanging out and I said, you guys, I, I, I met the guy, like the <sighs> guy, one I'm going to be with forever. I'm, I'm so smitten. And Scott Barnhart said, that's amazing. When was your first date? And I said, it's this coming Sunday. <laughs> and we were, it was so fast. And we were, we both left our date and told people, we, we went to our respective places and told the people we were with, I'm going to marry the guy I just had this first date with. And it was, it was really fast. And then that was October. We moved in with each other in June. And I already had the rings that I was going to use to propose to him because I bought them in like May. God. And, and I, but this is 2010. Where was it legal? Like where were it we? Wasn't legal. It wasn't legal in New York yet. So we got right. married. Where um, was it? We, were, we, were, we got married in Connecticut. We were going to get the certificate. We were going to just get married in Connecticut and then have a party in New York. And we thought we don't want to put any money into the economy of a state that doesn't respect us enough to give us rights. Right. So we put all of our money into Connecticut. All of our vendors were from Connecticut and we put all our money into their economy and had a wedding that we wouldn't have been able to have in New York because we had about 220 people. And I don't think we could have afforded that kind of wedding in New York city. Right. So it was pretty amazing. We got married in Southbury, Connecticut. Wow. That yeah. Is, I, I remember seeing the pictures and just being so, so happy for you guys. And also I just felt like you guys were pioneers. I mean, I know that we have a lot of, of, of gay couples who've gotten married before you, but I think that when we look back <laughs> and, 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 and there's, you know, the history of the marriage equality movement, and we're looking at, you know, the, the, sing, the few states that were allowing couples to get married, the fact that there were only a handful when you guys got married. I mean, when Gerald and I got married in 2014, it wasn't uh, legal in Ohio or, or Indiana where we're both from. So we had to get married in, in New York state. And I just think it's going to be such a crazy thing to think about, yeah. you know, 20 years from now. That we I were, hope so that for our kids that they that they, yeah. they won't be able to believe that we were that we had to struggle that much for it. Find a state to get married in, basically. Yeah, and I remember when it became legal in New York. We were doing Mormon, and you guys were all on stage, and I was following it up yeah. in my room, up in up in six hundred one. Yeah. And i I got I had the privilege of running down to stage level, and as you guys came off stage, I got to say it passed, it passed, and yeah, that uh, that it was now legal, and everybody just was hugging and crying and. It was so special. I think it was um, during Spooky Mormon Hell Dream, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. That sounds right. Um, yeah, no, I remember that performance so well. I, it was it was such an exciting thing that you know so many in the Broadway community had worked on that campaign to get the New York State Senate to pass marriage equality, which is so crazy how hard it was. We failed back in two thousand and. In ten, and I think that was 2012, right? So yeah, that summer. So it, it took such a long time for New York to get on board, and um, you know. And then I was in, I was doing Mormon in London when 
they struck down DOMA. Wow. And basically our marriage, which had only been legally legal in Connecticut, which only right. been a state license, all of a sudden we gained federal rights. And I was on stage. It was intermission when Gavin Krill and I found out that it had passed. And my husband worked for the company. He was selling merchandise in the front of the theater in right. London. And he ran backstage right before we started uh, making things up again, Arnold. And he found me in the stage left wing. And he just grabbed me and we hugged and we cried. And everyone was looking at us and they were all so happy because they had all been like, I don't understand. Why isn't it legal already? Why right. do we had to explain to them that we had a half, we had half rights. We didn't have all the rights. Right. And, um, and we just sat and cried and cried and cried. And then the music started for the top of act two. And I was like, oh, shit, Je Jeffrey, yeah. go. I got to get ready for act two. <laughs> I got to talk a lot right now. And I wiped my face and I went out and did making things up again, Arnold. Oh, yeah, that was basically, I think, around the time that um, that we got engaged uh, w was when that when that uh, was was decided. Because you know, yeah. it was I think especially for so many people, it was kind of, it's 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 hard to understand until it's of the law of the land across the board. You know, it was so confusing when it was all these different states and people having rights here and not rights there. I mean, I'm just so glad that's over is that it, there's not that confusion. Like laws should not make things more confusing. And and I think that there was just that second class citizen status of domestic partnerships and different states. It was so crazy. It was a crazy time period. But I really do look at you and Jeffrey and now you, Jeffrey and Augie, your son, as leaders, you know, you guys really showed us what it meant to be married and be fearless to just kind of move forward with your life and not wait around for laws to be changed, not wait around for the entire world to get on board. And also with, with having a child, you know, Gerald and I have been trying for a couple of years now and going down that path and and uh, definitely getting to see you guys be such great dads has been such a, a wonderful reminder of why we're on that journey and what's that's at really, the end of it. That's really sweet of you to say. I, I think that Jeffrey and I never thought of of it as a as a political thing. We just we always saw getting married as what we wanted to do. On our first date, we talked about the fact that we wanted to get married. You know, we both wanted to get married. We both wanted to have kids. We wanted to have kids through surrogacy. Like we knew the path we wanted to take, and that was on our first date, <laughs> which gives you some idea of how quickly we moved. Yeah, but, um, it never felt political it just felt like we were doing what we were what we were supposed to do but we look back at it now and we realize that we were we were sort of i guess quietly making pretty large statements by living our lives out loud and and doing the things that we wanted to do whether or not everybody was on board for them you know yeah well i mean just just being who you are and and being open about it can be a huge statement and make a huge difference. And I, I think that you guys have done that so well and been such a positive reinforcement of, of, you know, what, what our dream is. So I really am grateful to you, to you guys for that. What are some of the downsides or not downsides, but hardships and, and hard parts about being the, the leaders, the pioneers of being um, married and being two, two dads? Uh, I think probably that people don't know anything about it yet. And so in that respect, I, in the beginning, especially I said, I would say to Jeffrey, I think that we have an opportunity or an obligation almost to educate people about families like ours. This was more about when we decided to have a kid, but I'll tell you what, 
people, and you'll find this probably still, people ask crazy inappropriate questions all the time. Mm -hmm. And so we're constantly balancing the like, how do we educate people about who we are, but still sort of protect ourselves and have enough boundaries that we feel like we're not, we're not giving away too much. So I mean, people, the the lady checking us out at Target will ask us, you know, like, how much did he cost you? Or waiting online for a ride in Disneyland, someone will be like, so did you guys mix your sperm up in a cup? And I'll just be like, uh, you don't know my name, sir. I'm not entirely sure you get to talk about my sperm. Right. You know? It, you, so we get all sorts of really inappropriate questions, and we're always sort of, I don't know, figuring out how to handle it in a way that can help, can help educate people, but doesn't violate us or our child, especially right. now he's getting older and can understand things um, about the questions. Right. Uh, So that's been sort of the biggest challenge for us. We get, we get crazy, crazy inappropriate questions, but largely I find, I don't know, I I feel really lucky to have been, to have been able to have young gay people in, in Mormon say like, Oh man, I want what you guys have. And to know that we're, to know that we're, providing an example. And what's even cooler is when young straight people tell us, I really just want to find what you guys have. Because then I realize like what we have is not, it's not different. It's not controversial. It's just love. People want to find what we have because we are deeply, passionately, wonderfully in love. And that has nothing to do with the fact we're not gay in love. We're just in love. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Well, I think that you guys are such a great example to, to everyone. And I think that you know, you've done such a great job of of pushing forward in this business and fi- finding new ways to uh, find work and to, you know, like you've started a teaching. You have also moved from New York City, this city that you have that had, you had mastered and, and been, you know, from college on, been, you know, a part of that world and come out to Los Angeles. With yeah, that's been a child. That's that's the big change. How did you deal with that? Uh, and why well, did you do it? I did it because um, I did. We opened the tour of Book of Mormon out here, or we opened it in Denver. Then we came here and did three months, and basically every single person in town came and saw us. And there were a lot of doors open to me. A lot of pe- networks and, and studios and people I had met said, "When let us know when you want to come back here." And so we went to London and did it there for almost two years. And when we came back, I thought, let me go see if those doors are still open. Cause you know, doors don't stay open for long. Let me see if I can, if I can do it because I realized Mormon had given us a, a quality of life that we just, we really loved. And even if I had gone back into, you know, to New York and gone into another show right away, it wouldn't have been the same right. kind of experience I was having on Mormon. It, it, it was, I mean, you know, you were there too. It was, yeah. it, it was this magical ride. And I thought, why don't we go try something new and, and see, maybe I can go book a series and continue on the magical ride. Um, and my husband also wisely, cause we knew the baby was already on the way when we left London, we were already about three months pregnant, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he said, once the baby comes, we're never going to move cross country. Let's go now before he's born so that we don't go to New York, have the baby and then say, Oh, it's too much to move with a baby. Right. So we, uh, so we came out here and, and it, it was great. A lot of those doors were still open to me and I was able to find some good representation out here. And I booked a pilot for NBC within a few months of, of getting here, which felt great. And so I was like, well, great. So I, I got LA down. Yeah, it worked. 
And then the pilot didn't get picked up. And uh, it became a lot more of a struggle out here. You know, I'm, I'm lucky. I, I book work and I, I do voiceover and I do some film and I do TV episodic and, and wherever I, wherever they'll have me basically. And I do theater out here too, which has been really nice. Cause I didn't, I didn't know there was as much theater out here, but um, I, I think that I, uh, I have a lot of, we have a lot of downtime here and downtime mm-hmm. is really dangerous as an actor because when you're not doing it all the time, you start to wonder and go down some dark holes. And so it's, uh, there's a lot of self maintenance that I've had to, had to, do out in LA that I never had to do in New York just because I'm not as busy. Right. Uh, and I, so I have to constantly be keeping myself moving forward and, and grateful and joyful um, in a way that I didn't have to in New York as much because New York did that work for me. Well, New York keeps you distracted, busy, and engaged on a daily <laughs> basis. It can be exhausting, but it certainly doesn't let you get too much in your head. And LA really, really, really does. Yeah. Um, so that's been challenge, been challenging, but I've also been able to do stuff out here that was I, in New York because I was always in a show. I didn't get to do a lot of TV stuff because right. I couldn't. Out here, I'm I've gotten to do a bunch, and I'm learning. And at our at our age and our time in the business, it's pretty cool to learn new things because we know everything about theater already. I don't. We're not. I'm not the best I can be at theater yet but I know what all the terms mean. I know who all the players are. I know, I know all that stuff. And yeah. out here, like I'm learning all new things. And I remember getting a, a schedule for my first TV show and there were like letters next to my name. And I thought, what? I have no idea what those letters mean. Yeah. Having, to, having to find out and nobody really educates you in TV the way they do in theater. In theater, I feel like they take you under their wing and they're like, this is a 10 out of 12. And that means, right. Whereas in, in TV, you're just kind of expected to know. So a lot of cast meetings in uh, in theater where let's all get together and talk. <laughs> right, right. There's not a lot of that in TV at all. No, everything's moving <laughs> but, too fast. But it means I've had the, the chance to learn new stuff. And how cool is that to learn new stuff yeah. at, at my age? And then um, and I, I talk like a hundred. Uh, and, you know, commercials and, and voice, I found a, a really cool kind of uh, in, in into the voiceover world and um, and then theater. What's cool about theater in LA is there isn't like a $8 million budget on shows. So they're not as concerned with finding like the most marketable star to be in it. And, and I've gotten the opportunity to play some roles out here that I feel like I never would have gotten the chance to play in, yeah. in New York. And I, I've really loved that and I've worked with amazing people. And so, you know, I just keep, just, you just keep trucking along and, uh, waiting for the next the next big thing and enjoying all the little things that come in between the big things. How can people find out about your workshop, um, your your classes? Uh, I always advertise on my social media. So okay. on Instagram, I'm at Jared Gertner one. Uh, and on uh, Twitter, I'm uh, at Jared Gertner. And then uh, I have a website, which is jaredgertner.com, which I'll, I'll be putting a teaching page up on, on that pretty soon. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I, I think that you have so much to offer. So I'm so glad that you're doing that. I think that your students really, uh, really look up to you, not just creatively, but I could tell they have, uh, they've built a lot of confidence with you. And I think that's the best kind of teacher. Um, it's not just about the craft. It's about building some kind of foundation of, of confidence at that age, which is, you know, what makes it most beneficial to a high school student. Yeah. Thanks, Roy. I appreciate that. You can come back and talk to them anytime. They were like beside themselves getting to meet you. Oh, that's so that's so sweet. They had they it was nice because Hamilton, I got to do the show here last year 
And so some of them brought their programs and I was like, yes, we've got like real Hamilton, (laughs) you know, like they're going to like be engaged with what I have to say. And they just were so awesome and so talented. And two or three of them came wearing Hamilton shirts. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Adorable. (laughs) Yes. It's, it's. It's awesome because we're seeing, you know, what Cats and Lame is and what those shows were to us in, in, in Hamilton. And, and, that's, and it's that's awesome. That's so cool for you because the, there are so, there's so rarely like these huge juggernaut musicals. There's a lot of hits, but like juggernaut musicals. And the two biggest ones in the last however long were Mormon and Hamilton. And you got to do both of them. What a yeah. cool thing to get to see what that see that world twice oh totally surreal i mean throughout mormon you know like i was like well this is it better enjoy it because that's never gonna happen again and so now that hamilton happened and i got to be a part of that experience i'm like well now i'm really done (laughs) 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 nothing's good's gonna happen after this but no it's really it i'm now jimmy Jimmy yes the yes, exactly. Well, I, I'm, it's so perfect that I get to talk to you, um, this week, you know, after, after getting to talk about my new son, that makes me so, so happy. I've never been this whole happy in my life. Um, uh, Gerald and I are gets, just so it thrilled. Just gets better. It just gets better, man. You're going to love it. Thanks, bud. Well, um, thanks for talking with us on living the dream. Thanks for having me. Audition side job swimming upstream. Believe it or not, you're living the dream. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.